0: This episode was made vlog style for our YouTube channel, but we have decided to cut a version that is suitable for our audio platforms. We strongly recommend that you go to our YouTube channel and watch the episode as it is intended. But if you're not able to do that, we do hope you enjoy the abridged version here. welcome welcome, guys we're back for another episode of the lock-in on location in Las Vegas one of those exciting ones we hope anyway maybe we'll win 12 13 million dollars by the end of this episode um I've just arrived I'm here a couple of days but Dara's actually been here for almost two weeks already as you can see by that rapid fire montage I created at the beginning he's been creating quite the viral sensation with the shirts but also with all the cashing Dara tell us more
1: yeah, my series got off to a very good start. I catch my first event, the Seniors, um, on the first bullet as well, and uh, it continued in a similar vein, catching most of the WSB events I've played, as well as two satellites, so it's been very good on that front. A little bit frustrating that it has been no truly deep run. Um, on the shirts, just to mix things up, I've been obviously changing my shirt every day and putting it up on Twitter, and um, Thanks to my wife, they're quite a colourful collection of shirts. So I ran a poll for the WS at the main event, which was the favourite shirt that I should wear on day one. Um, and this is what they chose. Um, much to the light of uh, recent guest, Haley Hoxstetter, who said that this was the sh- shirt she absolutely wanted me to wear on day one. She thought it was the most photogenic.
0: Yeah, I think it's the best shirt, but I don't know. I think it's the one that might upset your... Uh various sponsors the most because it, they blend in the most with all the color it's not even the worst on that front i do have <laughs> another one which
1: is even dark darker colors and you literally the uh the patches just look like other random stuff that's on the shirt
0: <laughs> well look i managed to swoop in here uh the day before the main event i had one day to play satellites i hopped in a satellite and i did the thing that i actually define as what winning a satellite is which is getting through it with literally the bare minimum um, and and managing to lock up the seat. It was a 10K starting stack um, and uh, one in 10 got the seat. So, you know, average stack was going to be 100K at the end. Some big stacks obviously just pooned away on the bubble. I was one of those people who had to just like cockroach my way through and uh, managed to be under the gun with two thirds of a big blind, which I think was a starting stack when the bubble went. Uh, So that was pretty pure. Can't really uh, get any closer than that. Um, So I was delighted, obviously, to get my seat on the cheap that way. But in doing so, it highlighted a couple of issues, I'm gonna be honest, uh, something we definitely wanna discuss because it's something I think the WSOP are maybe, well, in one case, overstepping and in a second case, applying a very poor rule and we we want to discuss it Dara and I probably know more about satellites than most Dara knows more about satellites than anyone and uh the first one i'm going to bring up which is a very unusual incident uh, apparently not an isolated incident but i think incredibly rare which was in a spot where i was under the gun um maybe about 10 from the money or so i looked down at a very reasonable holding um So something that, you know, I had the ace blocker, which is kind of really important, obviously, in the end game of satellites. And I spent 20 seconds, definitely no more than 20 seconds before mucking my hand. Floor staff behind me came in over the top of me, pulled my hand from the muck, had a look at it and then put it back in as if like, okay, that was a reasonable decision. You could have had to think about that one. But that sort of begged the question. Well, one, what right does a floor staff have to look at your hand? I don't think any. Two, even if they do, what relevance does it have? Does that person know good satellite strategy? Are they going to penalise me if my hand was too good and I didn't go with this? If it was too weak and I considered it for too long? Dara, your thoughts on that one? Because I, I put it out there on Twitter and a lot of people have responded.
1: Yeah, it's a strange one. The only time I've ever seen uh hands pulled from the muck, well, for the most part, it's when there's suspected collusion. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, somebody bets the river and somebody moves all in for not very much more and the other guy falls. And I have seen tournament directors pull the cards out to make sure that, you know, the guy had the nut low or whatever, something they put, couldn't possibly win. Yes. This is a weird one because it, 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 it does presume that the tournament director is qualified to make a judgment on the strategy, um, which I think there's no way they are because satellites are so different. And it's actually a combination of two things that make. The strategy particularly difficult here it's a combination of the fact that satellites are different you know as we all know from the famous cover of uh poker satellite strategy of the guy folding aces you might have aces in that spot and it might be a fold um uh, but you might have to think about it, it might be a close spot um so no matter what hand you have it's possible it's a fold it's also possible that it's cl- it's close to remaining two spot and that's mostly because of the big blind ante. When you're down to less than three big blinds, you're very much incentivized to go wide under the gun because if you shove now, you can double your stack, you can win the ante, whereas if you wait for the next hand, one-third of your stack goes in his ante, which you can only win back. So those two factors complicate things considerably. I think there's zero way the tournament director is qualified to judge whether your hand was even close or not. You know, if if he looked at 9-4 off and decided, okay, you were... Uh, you were taking the piss. It might be the case of 9-4 off. He's actually pretty close because of the big blind ante. Similarly, if he looked at a very strong hand, uh, he he might think, well, why are you tanking with this hand? Um, But again, you know, because it's a satellite, it's very, very different. So I think it's very, very dangerous leaving that stuff in the hands of people who are not qualified to to make those decisions. The strategy, they don't know the strategy. So um, another factor is, you know, okay, you're a very well-experienced satellite players, so you're likely to get these spots right. But what if somebody got a spot completely wrong? Say he taught, um, you know, something was a shove, or something was, was a fold it was, and it wasn't. You can't penalise people for playing badly. Uh, you know, uh, everybody has different levels. Mm. And sometimes people t- t- need, need longer time to sort of process these things. I think... Obviously, what's happening this year is you are a victim of your infamy for stalling. <laughs> and they're, as soon as they see you starting to think that they go, Lapin's at again, he's stalling. There's also been a culture of like, oh, it's all the Euros who stall. Ironically enough, the slowest players I've played with on this trip have all been American. Hmm. Um, and they're not universally slow. They tend to be quite fast when they have a trivial decision. But when they have a difficult decision and, you know, the more recreational you are, the more difficult the more decisions will be difficult for you, then they often take a very, very long time. Um, uh, but they don't seem to come
0: under the same scrutiny. I have to 100% agree with that. And I think the irony of this particular hand was I, I called the floor back after the hand was finished because I thought it was outrageous that my hand was looked at. And the floorman said, I'm allowed to do it and I'm just doing my job, sir. Which I said, oh, I, I don't know. I think that's crossing the line. And I... Took Umbridge with it, and we had a, a a brief and frank discussion. But the irony of it was, I took twenty seconds under the gun. Jesse Sylvia took about six minutes before shoving. A player in the cutoff took about four minutes before folding. Player on the button took a minute before folding. The hand took about eleven minutes, and I took twenty seconds of it, and my hand got pulled out of the muck. And everyone else was an American, so I did feel like. And I'm not suggesting that, you know, I want Americans jumping on my case here, but I think there's a bit of anti-Euro bias on this. I think there's a perception that the Euros are the tankers. And much like what Dara said, my honest objective observation of it is that Americans took longer over their decisions this, you know, last, whatever, a day, day and a half i play poker uh, in satellites than anyone else. And if you've seen it for the last two weeks, then it's been a clear case that they're, they're the ones taking the time. Anyway, go on. Sorry, one more so point.
1: W- w- one other point I would say is that I've, uh, the, the level of TDing out here is, is really, really polarized. Some of the guys are extremely good, like as in they're right up there with the best in the world. Um, totally agree, and some of them are absolutely terrible. Like literally, totally the, literally the worst I've ever seen anywhere. And it's it, it's kind of remarkable to come to a series like the WSP, and you you expect you, the, the staff are all going to be top notch. And some of them, like you know, honest to God, they, you wouldn't put them in charge of a fifty quid freeze-out back home. Mm-hmm. Uh, their their manner is dreadful. The there seems to be a almost randomness to the rules that they uh, choose to apply or not. You know, if, I've I'm going to write more about this, but I had a ruling this year which was. The, the polar opposite of a ruling I got in the past. So, you know, what is the rule? And I remember when I got that rule in the past, <clears throat> some of the good TDs contacted me and said, yeah, we wouldn't have given that ruling. So the, the, there's luck of the draw there in terms of what ruling you get as
0: well. Yeah, I hate the inconsistency, most of all. Um, one final point, uh, and it sort of comes back to what Dara said a moment ago about how in satellite strategy is actually can be a real knife edge between an any to go with it spot and a must never go with anything spot almost, or maybe anything but aces spot. Actually, that's kind of the one that comes up quite a bit. And the reason for your decision is not gonna be based on the factors at your table, the stacks at your table. You can monitor them, you can work out the best decision you can. But what it's really gonna come down to is, is there a guy with two big blinds and another guy with two big blinds over there? Is there, you know, all stacks bigger than you around and actually therefore probably should take the spot that you need to take kind of thing. And one incredibly infuriating aspect of this World Series rules, particularly in harshly enforcing satellites, where really that information is most precious, is that you're not allowed to look at the other tables. Now, this is taken to an extreme. You might think to yourself, well, I can stand up and I can kind of, you know, rubberneck around and at least I can see the tables closest to me. But in reality, they don't even allow that. If you stood up, this tournament director, same guy who pulled my hand out of the muck, was giving penalties to people who, if you just saw your eyes looking in there, he was like, you turn your eyes away from that table. I was like, hang on a minute, what, what are you doing? And I stood up, he said, you cannot stand up. I said, I'm allowed to stretch. He said, no, 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 you must stay in your seat. I said, you, you can't, like, you, it's, it's, it's a level of sort of draconian application of, a bad rule to not let people move about. He was like, oh, if you want to go to the bathroom, you can go to the bathroom, but don't you dare look at a stack as you walk out the door. He actually said that to a German guy who was going out the door. German guy was jokingly go like this as he was walking between tables. Like, this is lunacy. You need to know all the stacks. I, I appreciate bubbles, satellite bubbles in particular, can be a bit of a nightmare to administrate. There's maybe only two or three floor staff. Guys want to look at all the other stacks. They want to rubberneck the, the all-ins to see if they're on the bubble now or whatever. I get it. But you can't deprive people of the information because it's a strategy game. Poker is a strategy game. You make your decisions based on the strategy. The strategy is knowing all the information and then applying it as best you can to your hand. And if you're deprived of that information, you're flying blind. And I found myself in that spot flying blind umpteen times in the last orbit of that satellite. And it's totally unfair. And it was only because we actually went on break maybe three off the money that then there was an opportunity to sort of scout all the stacks as you walked out the door and then you could kind of ascertain where you were at. And that was the one time we actually had any sense of it. But we weren't allowed to do it other than that. And 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 that is an enforced rule. They believe, yeah, no no one's allowed to look at what's going on at other tables. Now, I'm sure people who play online poker, like this is insane, at the end game of every satellite, I pull up all the tables and make sure I know the short stack and who's going all in and whatever so that I can make the best decision. Of course you should do that. The live version of that is being able to use your eyeballs and they're literally not letting us do that there.
1: Yeah, it's a very strange rule. Um, The only possible justification in their mind I can think of this rule is that they think if people know this then it, slows the bubble down. But I think it's actually the, the reverse. Because if you don't have exact information, then you have to try and guess, make your best guess. And it just adds an extra layer of complexity to your decision. They used to do this in the Rio too, but, what, but the way they used to sort of get around it was they used to not break the tables adjacent to each other. So actually, when you looked at the end of a satellite, it was like a bunch of islands of tables that were all quite far apart. Really from far apart. I remember yeah. that. So, um, so 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 this is by no means a new rule, but but. In David's case, because I saw the satellite, all the rules are huddled together. You know, if you stand up, you're going to see a lot of tables. But so now they're telling you, you can't even stand up. Um the rule doesn't make any sense to me at all. And I think a problem with the rule is it confers a, a huge advantage on locals who have make up obviously a high proportion of the field. If you've got a mate at every table and you can send them all a text asking them, uh, you know, how many short stacks at your table? How short are they? What are their positions, etc.? That gives you a massive advantage over guys like us who come from the outside and who, and, and, and who don't have access to this information. Um, and you know they're not they're, they're not preventing people from being on their on their phones. <clears throat> it's bizarre. Like you can't use your eye, you can't use your eyes, but you can use your phone. Um, and the phone, if you if you know people at the table, would be a much better way to get the information. Or if you know people who are covering the event, for example, if you knew some of the media staff, um, so. It's it's giving an unfair advantage to certain people just based on who they know.
0: Great point, great point. Well, look, it is the morning of the main. We're actually just out of bed, uh, we're, uh, Dara. This is your this is your chosen shirt for the day. This no, no, no my, not my chosen shirt. Chosen by my followers. By, oh, sorry, of course, the follow, it's a democratic process. Um, I have to get, get into the shower and get myself ready and not so scruffy. But we, you know, we did that quick video last night, but. Uh, I suppose I put the tweet out and it did feel like it it got a bit of a stir and people had a bit of reaction to it. And actually, it was the first good talking point of the trip so far. So we thought we'd have a little quick discussion about it, if you like. And um, we've done that now. So, you know, fingers crossed, main event day one. It's always exciting. You know, I'd be lying if there wasn't just even a little bit of butterflies, even for two jaded pros like ourselves. A little bit of butterflies morning of day one. So fingers crossed. Wish us luck, guys. Okay, guys, so it is the final day. Well, final day for me, at least. Star is heading off tomorrow. It's Monday, 17th of July. Fair to say we're both kind of over it. <laughs> it kind of happens at the yeah. end of a World Series, i got to say. It does find a way to drain all your adrenaline reserves and whatnot. Uh, final tally of caches, Dara? It's kind of silly at this point.
1: Yeah, 10 caches in the end, which obviously I'm very happy with in terms of the amount of caches but like there was no really deep run in there my deepest run was 69th i think in the 2500 nice. but I, even in that like i was kind of just short and hanging on for the last part it's kind of frustrating because i did actually build stacks in almost every single event I, apart from the main event i think there isn't there wasn't a single event where i didn't get to three times starting stack fairly early on which i'm happy about because that's something i worked on a lot in the last year just my early deep stack game um but then it just kind of Invariably, <laughs> came down to you know three or four standard get-ins, lose them, and then you're out, uh, either shortly before or shortly after the bubble. Um, and I said this to you earlier, like even when you've had a pretty good trip, like I've had, and you've had a very good trip, obviously with your main cash, you still by the end you do f- kind of feel deflated. Um, we were we ran into Faraz last night, and he said to me that he felt much happier after he won the shootout for 270k, I think, than previous occasions where he came second or third for a lot more money. Um, obviously, you know, that's kind of what we come here for, to try and win a bracelet.
0: Yeah, I think that's what it's all about, really, is that you, you're here for the bracelet and anything short of that, even if it's a winning trip, probably still feels a little exhausting. It's still worth it, of course, like, I, I don't think um, we regret our trip, but I, I think this city does have a way of just sapping everything from you. And I think, uh, well, Dara's got a nice few days lined up in San Francisco to recover. I'm going to spend a few days in bed, I think, in Malta. Yeah I, I think,
1: home. yeah, I think. Yeah, I think it's probably a good sign that you run out of energy at the end. It Means that you've kind of uh, timed it well, or, mm. or, or, or paced yourself, out or whatever you want to call it. Um, certainly, there have been trips in the past where I've been burned off before the end, and that's not good. Um, it's fine. It's fine to be tired at the end of a race. It's hard to be, fine to be tired at the end of a of a series as well. And you know, we'll recover and go again. Yeah,
0: indeed. Nice way of putting it. Yeah, I ended up with. Four caches in the end, including that uh, satellite at the beginning. Um, obviously, the main, which you know you've seen on this video, and then uh, the Hall of Fame bounty, which I managed a few ladders in, and then a bare min cache in the one K. Tur- well, it wasn't a turbo, but it was you know everything is kind of a turbo. And that actually brings me to the one thing I wanted to talk about, which is the structures here. And a great friend of ours, a great friend of the shows, Angela Jordison, um, who's becoming. Kind of voice of the people really i think um real ambassador for the game i, I don't know if she's affiliated uh, to a site yet but my god somebody should snap her up i think she's literally the one of the top people who should be out there speaking up for the players uh she went to twitter just i think maybe a day ago and her phrase was uh, a lot of these wsop structures our dog shit <laughs> and I know where she's coming from because she's picking up at a point she made during one of those Twitter spaces a couple of weeks ago when she did her first trip out I think she's sort of done you know a week here and gone home for a week and a week again a few times during the series and I think she's had time to reflect maybe each time she's gone back and a recurring theme for her has been how with a couple of exceptions, marathons and super deep stack mini main or actually mini main I think is pretty bad as well. But there are a couple of structures that are low buy and that have go okay structures. But the vast majority of anything 1500 and under is very turbo-y uh, because they start at 10 a.m., which is a pretty rough start for most people. If you're still there at 4 p.m., you're doing quite well. And so if you have the tournament by 3 p.m., 4 p.m. in the afternoon, you haven't made a dinner break. You haven't, you know, had that experience of maybe being at the World Series of Poker like you might have w- thought it would be when you came out for the trip. Maybe you were only going to fire one or two bullets. It leaves you with a kind of a hollow feeling, and I think she's really trying to um, encapsulate that and, and sort of speak to the WSOP and maybe some of the powers to be and maybe some of the influential players who get to, um, you know, tug the coats of people like Ethel and whatnot and sort of say, look maybe we need to offer a bit more in terms of value for money, even if they take a little bit more rake, like they do take plenty of rake, but even if they took a little bit more rake and gave a better structure and gave these people a real flavor of what this series is supposed to be like.
1: Yeah, it's a tricky one because, I mean, essentially what's, what's happened over the years since I've been coming is, you know when I, when I started coming to the series, the smallest buy-in was 1K, and you got 2,000 in chips. Yeah. Um, which actually meant you, you were forced to play from the start. You couldn't just sit, sit back and, and, and sort of wait. Um, now, those you know, we have big starting stacks. 20,000 seems to be the smallest. It goes 20, 30, 40, 50, even 60,000 for the mini main. Yeah. And what that kind of essentially does is it creates this period where all the pots are very small and nothing is really happening. And it's a little bit of a, you know, it's, it's kind of a waste of time, really. Almost nobody gets eliminated. And then obviously the tournament has to end in a certain time. So by the time you get near the money, suddenly the average stack is sixteen big blinds. You know, the main event, sorry, the mini main, which actually has the same structure as the main event, but thirty minute clock, and that's and that's crucial. I think a lot of people focus on the wrong things when they look at structures. They look at how slow the blinds go up in terms of the progression rates. You know, you don't want the blinds doubling, for example. They look at how deep the stacks are, but actually, a deep, a very, very deep stack can be actually a bad thing because what it me- means is at the start of the tournaments almost nobody's getting eliminated, and then when you get to the business end, this, the the stack will have to come down. The average stack has to come down to a small number of big blinds before you start to force people out, and and then it's just shallow the whole way. Like a lot of these tournaments, you look at the average stack; it drops below twenty big blinds in or around the money and then it continues to drop for the rest of the tournament Um, and it's kind of back to front poker. The old structures to be honest were better even though it did mean a lot of people bust quicker Um, but that's actually good in terms of keeping the average number of big blinds up.
0: Yeah and sort of made for meaningful poker from the off in a way. I I do get the counter argument that some people make which is that like, if you're a bad player you're probably going to lose your first couple of pots and maybe it's nice that you get to splash around with a quarter your stack or whatever but actually I think maybe the good thing is that if you come out to the World Series maybe you play 100 big blind poker but it's a nice slow structure and it sort of stays 50 deep all the way through which is much nicer than yeah. 300 becoming 20
1: yeah people don't realise how important the length of the clock is like you can have the best structure in the world like, like the WSOP main event amazing structure WSOP mini main in theory same structure but the difference is thirty minute clock, and when you make it a thirty minute clock, it does become a turbo at the end, or even a super turbo, um, and then you have this phony period, phony war period at the start where, where where very little is happening. I think it's one of these situations where, unfortunately, players don't necessarily know what they want. The WSOP have been listening to people saying we want deeper and deeper stacks, and people think that a deep stack is necessarily good for them, but but it really isn't. Like it, it, it does just create this sort of period where. You know, it doesn't really matter. You could lose, you could lose a couple of big pots and you're still in the tournament. Um, But then the price you pay for that is when you get down to the business end, you've got to have big clients.
0: Yeah, I think it might be nice if they could figure out a way to have that weekend event, which tends to be the one that captures the biggest numbers, the Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday event. If there was a way for that one to be slightly better structured, but then the one that you have to jump into if you bust that one could be a turbo that can be a fast yeah. one then as a sort of a second chance for those same people I don't know it's for them to think about I know they are handling huge numbers record numbers in fact this year so it's a good problem for them to have but um, if people like Angela are speaking out about how dissatisfied you can be sure it's not just her she's speaking for a lot of people there so. yeah we have to give credit
1: to WSB I mean obviously they put on amazing thing and they still draw huge numbers into town very much victims of their own success yeah. but another point Angela made in her uh, tweet is that this is not rocket science the and the Venetian have very good structures all they really need to do is copy those
0: Indeed, well on a final note, obviously because we are sort of wrapping things up, although the World Series hasn't finished yet actually at the time of recording they're three handed in the main, obviously three Americans in the end or three Americans on the final table it's it's ended with the three Americans Uh, we were sorry to see obviously Toby Lewis, former guest, and Dean Hutchison go out in 7th and 6th I believe so, 7th and 6th, or maybe 7th and 5th maybe 7th and 5th I can't remember it only happened yesterday but as i said my brain's turned to mush anyway congratulations to them obviously amazing scores uh i thought dean's run was really really good he, he's sort of such a quiet guy sleeper killer in poker for like over a decade and uh, no surprises there that he's you know gone so deep in, in a big one uh, such as this and then toby well he might be one of the best there ever was so not too surprised to see him get another amazing score Um good luck to the three americans obviously i'll be Watching it maybe uh, uh, as I'm going to the airport later on tonight. Uh, Dara might be on the rail. You might get to see him on the coverage. Uh, shout out to and Norm who gave us a few shout outs on the coverage. Actually, we appreciate that guys as well, and to everybody else who's been very kind with their coverage. Jeff Platt obviously with me earlier, and uh, I think the Poker News team even managed to give us the odd tweet toward the end of the series. So thanks for that, lads. But uh, lots of love to the Poker Org people who are who are uh, on Team Chip Race all along. Uh, we do appreciate you guys as well. Um, I can't think of everyone's name, and I'm sure I'm going to leave some out, but we were delighted to see Tom Hall win a bracelet. He obviously did so from the comfort of his hotel room. admittedly with a bit of panic as his internet went, and Adam Neal saved his bacon by running over with a hot spot. Uh, for as Jacka, of course, who is a colleague of yours, Dara? Maybe speak a little bit about Faraz's achievement there. I know you said that uh, yeah. you know he was more satisfied than previous years, but yeah. it'd be about the. I mean, Faraz has had,
1: had an amazing career. He's one of the OGs of online poker, and he's obviously he had that sort of whole digital nomad period where he was traveling the world and absolutely crushing live poker as well. Bracelet had had eluded him until now, um, so it was great to see him. Get the bracelet in the shootout event, which is a tough enough event to win because you basically have to win three tables of nine or ten. Yeah. Um, And obviously, like in chess tournaments, for example, the deeper you go, you're up against people who have also won their previous thing. So they're all feeling on top of the world as well. So, yeah, delighted to see Faraz finally get his bracelet. And um, I think it will be good for his site, Jacker Coaching. (laughs) Um, Faraz his niche very much is sort of appealing to recreationals in language they understand and I think that that has struck a chord I have found when I've been walking around this WSAP looking like a NASCAR driver or a billboard um, Sandwich sandwich man the jacket coaching is the one that gets the most love a lot of recreational players do genuinely uh, love the site and all the content that we put up there
0: yeah, no fair play, and uh, yeah, it was a, it was a boisterous rail for for as I was there briefly during one of my breaks. Uh, we were obviously delighted also to see Alex Kulev take one down. He got so unlucky here a couple of years ago, losing out to uh, Leo Margat's heads up. Um, in the closer in fact he got it in good quite a few times to win that bracelet uh, but didn't manage to close it out we were delighted obviously for Leo on that day but it, it did seem like only a matter of time before Alex would close one out and well you know just just decided to close out the, the 50k for 2 million you know not too shabby but in the 15 big blinds last minute late Reg Dara, tell us about that one yeah I
1: was there for the um, the bracelet ceremony uh, I was lucky enough that my table was very nearby so I was able to film it and uh he was very emotional, he, mm-hmm. he was almost in tears, um, and it was, yeah, it was. It obviously meant a lot to him, and, you know, hearing his national anthem as well.
0: Yeah, fair play, it was great to see Alex, uh, and I imagine we might be looking at a guy who ends up with five, six, seven, eight bracelets before he's I, finished.
1: I think he could break Elman's records.
0: There you um, go, if you, I'm honest. you heard it here first. Yeah, although he is 30, he might look like he's about 12 years old, but he is 30, so, you know, he's not as young as people think. He's a very well-preserved 30. <laughs> he's a very preserved 30, indeed. Uh, other um, Chip Race, former guest, Sean Deeb, of course, won one, but she wins one every year. So that's nothing special. Um, but we are actually on our way downstairs because a little bit of exciting news. Um, just to plug this sponsor, this one of the the, the main sponsor of the show. Um, or, sorry, the sponsor of the show, but the main sponsor of Dara's Patchwork, um, Alex Rayar, uh, our uh, .fr colleague um, is actually heads up against none other than Stevie Chidwick so you know if you're going to win a bracelet and you have to beat the best to do it he's basically got to beat the best now but he's pretty much dominated the 10k 6 max for the last two days he's been top of the chip count since they were about 25 left and, uh, and by, by dominate I mean he's been like more than double seconds all the way through he's done that thing that good players do which is just you know I'm gonna guess stomp on everyone ICM misery everybody to the position that he ends up getting heads up with someone with a five six to one chip lead he has managed to do that but unfortunately for him it's Stevie Chidwick he's got a battle but at least he's got him down to 15 big blinds for the start of this heads up so we're gonna run down and watch that now hopefully uh, rail Alex to victory and uh, we're gonna sign off on that note Thanks guys. Keep on hanging